This is a Data Science Channel program from the Halijialu Data Science Institute. Visit us at ucsd.tv slash data-science to learn more about how data is shaping our future. Hello, San Diego. This is President Joe Biden here. Sorry I couldn't make it to chatting GPT. It sounds like a fantastic and very important event. But it's my honor and privilege to introduce our next speaker, who asked me to say a few words. Now, in my time in public service, I've gotten to know some exceptional, brilliant minds. But when it comes to the impacts of artificial intelligence on truth and knowledge, there's really only one person I turn to. And that's Professor Stuart Tiger, who teaches both in communication and data science here. Not only is he the most brilliant person who I've ever met, he is also my very best friend in the entire world. <laughs> Please don't tell Barack that. I met Stuart back in 2010 when he was studying misinformation in Wikipedia for his PhD. Anybody could edit Wikipedia, so I kept changing the photo of Mitch McConnell to a turtle. Within two minutes, he caught me, but let me off with a warning. Stuart has dedicated his life to unraveling the mysteries of AI and how it impacts our lives. He's all like that scrappy kid from Scranton, fighting for the little guy, cutting through the malarkey, although I never had hair like that majestic mane. Straight talk, folks. Technology is moving faster than a high-speed train, but are we sure it won't get derailed and hurt people? And where are the tracks going, anyway? That's no joke. We're more divided than ever, and we know people will use AI to pull us farther apart. Sure, we've always had misinformation, which back in my day, we just called it malarkey, or propaganda, doctored photos, quotes out of context, and some people feel no shame to straight line to your face. But something seems different. You know, every week, it seems, there is a new AI released that can bring benefits for sure, but also can act in dangerous ways and bring real disruptions to people's lives. There's a hot news AI startup that makes a voice changer app. It's like ChatGPT, but for audio. They make money letting anyone impersonate politicians and celebrities. They say they only need a 15-minute recording of anyone's voice to build a model that lets you speak in real time as if you were them. They encourage users to upload recordings of other people's voices, and there's a whole gallery to choose. Their most popular model, the one that they put the most time into that works the best, and the one that you don't have to pay for, it's my voice. They stole it from me. They say it's only for parody and entertainment. But we all know what's going to happen with this technology in this political climate. You're wrong, Joe. This is brilliant. Because now if I get recorded saying anything, I can just say fake AI. It's the new fake news. I love it. Hold on. I thought we banned Donald from the Discord. W did that. Yes, we banned Donald from the Discord server, but <laughs> that's not him speaking. Look at the icon. It's your buddy Barack. <laughs> oh, I got you there, Joe. Isn't it crazy what these AI technologies can do these days? Oh, hold, hold on. Give me a minute. I'm just trying to record an intro for a talk that Stu's going to give at this chatting GPT event at UC San Diego. Stu Geiger? I love that guy. He always has really <laughs> smart things to say about AI. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. We're trying to say... Is he going to talk about fake audio and video? Like, did you see that TikTok that was of you, me, Trump, and Drake, and we were all at the McDonald's arguing about what to order? 
That was hilarious. You know I'm not on TikTok, Barack, but yes, <laughs> I saw it on Reddit. But did you know that I made it? With a little help from Sasha and Malia, but it's really easy to do now. I didn't have to do any coding. I just download this app, choose my politician, and spoke into it. But this isn't just fun and games anymore, Barack. You're not in office anymore. I am. If there's fake audio that makes people think that the president of the United States is saying something, that have real political consequences. Well, look, back when I was president, they didn't need AI to push the conspiracy theory that I was some kind of secret radical Muslim born in Kenya, did they? No, but just imagine if they did. There will always be people who think the only way to win is to lie and manipulate the truth, no matter what technology is out there or how easy it is to make and spread fake news. Look, what is crucial are institutions that we trust to anchor us to the truth, to report on the world accurately and reliably, to filter out all the BX. Do you just want to take over and give Stewart's talk for him? Well, after all those late nights the three of us spend playing Minecraft together and talking about the future and the ethics and politics and sociology and artificial intelligence, I probably could give his talk for him. <sighs> really? Let me just finish up this intro and then we can go to Area 51 and take a joyride on the UFOs, okay? <laughs> all right. Sorry about that, Stu. Here we go again. We are living in a brave new world. I don't know what to trust anymore. And I bet you don't either. But you know who I do trust? Professor Stuart Tiger. <laughs> so give it up to the eminent scholar who's making sure we don't get lost in the digital sauce. Stu, what do we do? <laughs> so that, that took me about four hours. Um, <laughs> And that included the first time I ever used this particular app, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to give them free publicity, but um, I, this was the first time I ever used it, and a lot of that time was also coming up with the script. Um, you can see here on their gallery, right, famous politicians, celebrities, and again, you can upload, uh, again, requiring no programming experience, no coding, just the ability to take a 15-minute audio clip and turn it into this um, for anyone else on the internet to use. Um, and this is going to build on some of the things that, that Professor David Danks was talking about earlier. This should terrify you, right? But I also want to sort of note something that I did, which was that um, I did something that pains me, which I put a disclaimer there. Um, and I thought that that was a responsibility that I ought to do. Right. I'm a big fan of parody. I'm a big fan of satire, of irony. I think that plays a really important role in society and has for millennia. Um, which, by the way, if you haven't um, seen the Supreme Court brief that was filed by The Onion in support of a recent case around parody, you should read it because it's a masterwork of the genre that makes the argument that parody performs a very important social function by tricking people into thinking that it is real. 
um, that I wanted to have something where if I played that to you without giving the disclaimer, you would have had to exercise your critical thinking skills. You might have actually believed, oh, maybe this guy does know Joe Biden. I don't know. Um, but then slowly, as I pivoted in, in the style of, of parody and satire from the serious to the funny and back and forth, making it more and more ridiculous, you exercise your critical thinking faculties. And therefore, you have the unique ability to critique and comment on this. But I chose to undermine, again, I, I really believe in humor. I feel it's important. Um, I wanted to you know, make you all laugh. But I chose to kind of pierce and that that wasn't as important as putting a disclaimer up Given you know, the, the context of where I am, we're at a university, we've got UCTV here, we're presenting to a very large audience, um, I am speaking directly in my capacity as a professor at a research institution, um, and so the thing that I was absolutely terrified of, and I think the thing that I decided to do to be responsible, to be a responsible user of this technology, was to put a disclaimer. Because this is the last thing that I want, right? And this is also fake. I fake I'm, I'm pretty good at making fake stuff. Um, <laughs> right? I also didn't want something like this to happen. Or if it did, I wanted there to be able to be some sort of original record where you could go back. The fact checkers could go back and say, no, this actually was part of this long presentation. Here's the official canonical video. In the same way that we've been debunking this information since the beginning of recorded history through institutions. Right? And I wanted to have Barack Obama say that about institutions because I want to believe that we live in a world in which our institutions of truth can protect us from this, that they are flexible, um, you know, that we had things like this, right, that you might have seen go. Um, and, you know, it was one of these things that went viral, actually published before the arrest actually happened, which was a key piece of evidence that was used by all the fact checkers, right, to say, you might have seen this photo circulating around. They didn't use any algorithmic techniques. They didn't have a, uh, this wasn't a technical solution to this technical problem. It was a social solution to a social problem um, that they, we sort of relied on our existing institutions to sort of triage and to say, you know, we had a lot of news organizations there. All of them showed him in different clothing. And these kind of things have been core to journalistic institutions and other institutions whose role in society it is to anchor us to the truth and to filter out all the BS. But we've been doing this for quite a long time. Um, this is uh, the, the first famous wharf photo, right, back in the days when photos took many, many minutes, sometimes hours to, to produce. You couldn't catch action shots. And it turns out this photo was staged a little bit. Um, there's evidence that uh, actually this is the first photo that he probably took where there was no cannonballs on the road and the photo that ended up get, getting published, oh, there's a whole bunch of cannonballs and there's a lot of evidence in the record that suggests that, the, that this photograph, this famous first war photograph ever taken um, and spread across Europe during the Crimean War um, was, was, was staged in a certain way. So we've been having to sort of figure out these things um, as a society for a long time. Right? We've also had propaganda for a long time. We've had nation state level actors and large multinational corporations that have resources who have been able to you know, develop and spread um, whatever sort of messages they want. We, we still do it today in analog form even, um, dropping pamphlets off of, uh, you know, to sort of spread a particular message with a particular impact. But one of the things that's happening today and with these automated generated technologies is that the scale is increasing and the cost of labor is going significantly down. It used to be the case that you had to be 
a, a, you know, a security services of a nation state or a large multinational corporation to be able to have the, the human labor power necessary to carry out what are called influence operations. Um, but one of the things that we're seeing is that, you know, and you used to be able to, you know, catch people who tried to do it with fewer resources or they tried to do it kind of sloppily, not very well at scale. Right, for example, this is something that kind of made the rounds during some of the Amazon unionization fights where um, this is clearly kind of a fake account. It's got no history. The, the, you can do a reverse image search and find it's a stock photo of a guy who just happens to be a happy Amazon employee who doesn't want to shell out hundreds a month for just for lawyers. Um, this was caught pretty easily because they probably didn't put as much work into it. Um, but now we're going to have histories, entire accounts that have histories that seem real going back years. And the tasks and the techniques that we were used to, to be able to identify fake accounts or things like that, um, we're going to have to adapt. We're going to have to get better at that. Our institutions are going to have to get better. We're all going to have to get better. But the problem is our institutions aren't in great shape right now. Um, I wish we had a thriving, functioning set of institutions that are enough of them to keep each other accountable, enough of them that are well-resourced to be able to go not just where the news headlines are, but where the next headline might be. But currently, all our inst- from education to science to journalism, right, we are in moments of crisis um, around this. Right, we are going to be spending a lot more time being suspicious of each other, and that also takes a lot of labor. Right? We can't just put a magnifying glass up. We're going to need new technologies around detection, and some of that is going to have to come from these developers themselves. One of the things that I want to note, though, is that this takes a substantial amount of work. And I want to shift from, you know, this isn't a misinformation story, but there's a famous case of a sci-fi magazine that, that had to cut off submissions because they kept getting flooded with AI-generated stories. And the editor kind of said, you can see this is a graph of number of submissions per month, and it kind of peaks at, 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 at December and keeps, keeps rising. Um, and the editor said something that I, I empathize with, and he said he wanted to believe and wanted to live in a world where he could just say... Well, if it's AI-generated or not, it shouldn't matter. If it's good fiction, we'll publish it. If it's bad fiction, we won't. I want to live in that world where we could apply that, but that's not the world that we live in. This publisher didn't have the labor to be able to do that. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes money. It takes dedication. It takes specialized roles. And so we're seeing this sort of being overwhelmed time and time again, sector by sector. Uh, I'll introduce you to Brandolini's Law, which is also known as the Bullshit Asymmetry Principle, right? Not a, not a, a law law, but a kind of uh, an idea that the, um, the effort in debunking inf- misinformation is much greater than the effort to create it in the first place. The amount of energy needed to refute BS is an order of magnitude or 10 times more than what is needed to produce it. Again, not, a, not an exact figure, but it's harder to debunk than it is to spread misinformation. In fact, there's an interesting study that was done um, where someone actually, so for example, so the, uh, the F, lots of parts of the federal government are required to have a public notice and comment period before making major changes to policy. It's in the, it's in the law. If they don't do this, um, then it's a violation of the Administrative Procedures Act. So they have to receive comments from the public. And one researcher basically used generative AI to create a whole bunch of content, actually submitted it to the FCC's notice and comment website. And then, you know, it did not get detected, and then he took it down right before the end of the notice and comment period. But no one detected it, and he actually had a range of different people you know, look at this text, and they weren't able to detect it as well. But the thing is, he wasn't using ChatGPT, GPT 3.5, GPT 3. He was actually using GPT 2. 
And it was also the case for GPT-0, I guess her negative one, which is just uh, having this Mad Lib style thing where you're kind of just randomly generating a template sentence over and over and over again. Humans can't detect this either, especially when we're talking about paragraph level comments or the size of social media posts. But one of the things is this has also been a, uh, this idea is also kind of aligning and intersecting a bit with classical political organizing techniques. In one sense, this is actually savvy political organizing, right? There's guides on how to create an email template to help your social media followers flood politicians with messages about the protest. This is one from Amnesty International, right? That's sort of around the no ban, no wall movement at the beginning of the Trump administration that has, right, these sample Facebook posts to copy and paste and maybe modify a little bit, where it's sort of acting also as sort of an artificial organism. And there's, this has been a constant debate, again, pre-AI, but on, you know, what is considered legitimate versus illegitimate forms of political organizing. Is this astroturfing or is this savvy organizing skills in the digital age? So one of the things that I think is also going to be happening is these sort of second order effects of given independent of whether or not things are actually happening on social media, and we actually don't have a lot of evidence to know um, right now, like is the GPT apocalypse, misinformation apocalypse upon us now, or you know, how much is it actually happening? We don't really have good methods to detect that. But even the fear of this, I think, is leading to people, um, you know, certain initiatives. For example, um, you know, there's a lot more talk around requiring sort of real name policies or sort of ID requirements to be able to post on social media. And I don't quite know how I feel about that, because I think that can sort of lead down to some pretty dangerous roads as well, requiring to have a government-issued ID um, to post on the Internet. Um, and so I wanted to kind of end by talking a little bit about the responsibilities of developers in this. And so this is the AI voice kind of tool that I shared earlier. Um, they actually have an ethics page on their website. And so I clicked it, as one does. And they first said, ah, yes, we want to help focus on the positive uses of voice technology. Every technologist thinks their technology is ethical because it does what they designed it to do. And we don't ever, you know, we always think the things we want to do are good things or else we wouldn't be doing them. Right? And so they said, yeah, we want to help people maybe who have disabilities or um, are trans and maybe want to sort of try out a different voice. They had a couple of these sort of positive use cases. But they said, ah, we want to help prevent the misuse of voice technology. We provide an API to detect fake speech and prevent mis misuse, which I think, you know, if they did that, that would actually be, you know, some, some good due diligence to be able to say, well, maybe if we, we keep a record of everything that's generated and have some sort of ledger that the fact checkers can go back to that can plug into our existing institutions that anchor us to truth and provide sort of resources and documentation so that we can sort of know, ah, this is a variation slightly blurred to get around the auto detectors, but we found something that this was actually generated in this case before. And so I emailed, so I contacted them on their public forum. I said, this is great. Where can I find this? And they said, well, sorry, the feature is currently being finalized. It's not available at the moment. So their ethics page contains, am I allowed to say it, a lie? So I think this is also, so to conclude, I think we should be thinking about these in terms of a common problem in society that we've you know, thought about how to tackle before in different sectors, which is externalities. Right? The idea that there is public, there is sort of private benefit, right? These companies are making money, they're getting massive amounts of attention, they are causing harms for the entire rest of society. Right? Think about how many labor hours of work, uh, you know, those of you who are in education, have had to put into your own curriculum and thinking about curriculum design and GPTs. Um, that, that is a 
a cost that the public is bearing for privately get private gains in innovation. Um, same with pollution, right? You have a private gain to the factory, a harm to the rest of society. And so I think that we should be thinking about these kinds of things that are actually quite similar to other kinds of public policy and technology problems we've been dealing with for a very long time. Um, and so I want to conclude by saying also that this is something that plugs into existing uh, institutions and existing markets, right? There's a market for disinformation. There is demand for disinformation, right, from society. And the fact that we have increased supply and there's a lot, it's a lot easier to generate it, right, is independent also of the fact that there's demand for it as well, that there's big money to be made. And so, for example, if the Federal Trade Commission has authority, you know, standing from Congress to be able to regulate unfair or deceptive trade practices, then I think it might be worth considering if sort of certain kinds of use, disingenuous use of this or non-labeled use um, in a commercial context or in a context of a political campaign might constitute unfair practices, which we already have laws against regulating. And so this might, you know, not stop every single person, but if you want to be a part of this, if you want to, you know, use this kind of technology, um, you know, as part of existing institutions, existing uh, organizations, existing companies, right? We have very strong things like whistleblower protections to be able to do this. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of things to be done in talking about technological solutions, but I don't want us to also forget that we have social and political institutions that have been trying to deal with problems like this for a long time, not just fake news, but, um, you know, from tax fraud to insider trading to um, sort of violations of internal government policies. You know, it only took one person to bring down um, the entire NSA kind of you know, spying regulations when Edward Snowden leaked that. Um, you know, there's all kinds of these different sort of ways. And so I think that we need to be thinking about these things together um, and thinking about, you know, especially the role that technologists play in their responsibilities um, to society. Thank you very much.